0: Welcome to Asia New Horizons, where law enforcement practitioners and academics get together to share knowledge and ideas to shape the future of crime analysis. Hey, hi everyone, I'm Dr. Tara Hodgkinson. I am an assistant professor at Wilfrid Laurier University in the Department of Criminology. and I'm also a safe growth practitioner, uh, which means I do crime prevention consulting in communities across North America and Australia.
1: Thank you. It's great to have you. Um, We actually met when I was in Canada uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. And you're very friendly. You're very nice. um, And I'm very interested in what you are getting up to. But for those that are listening, this is going to be a little bit different um, because you come from the academic world as well as being very involved uh, with the practitioners. Um, But you're going to be speaking about past research um, and yes, how the police have adopted some of that, but mostly what you found uh, and all the other interesting
0: bits. Am I right in saying that? Well, I can't promise it'll be interesting, but I will definitely provide you with some information for sure.
1: Okay. It will be interesting. Um, (laughs) Let's start with, talk to me about displacement because you like, some of your work does focus on this. Um, So let's start with displacement, crime around that.
0: Sure. So uh, I fir- first I'll explain what it is, and then I'll talk a little bit about the work that I do. So the idea of displacement is that if you implement a crime prevention strategy in one area, uh, that you will, if, if displacement occurs, then you will see crime move from that area to another area. Um, now, a lot of the research over the last sort of 30 years uh, or so has Disproven that idea. Um, and that's been done uh, by police um, researchers as well as academics. And essentially, they have taken an area uh, and then measured the buffer zone around, which is just the surrounding sort of three or four um, square kilometers. And they've said, Uh, When we map this, we see that crime not only declines uh, in the crime prevention strategy area, but it also declines around it. And so they call it a diffusion of benefit. Uh, So we see a reduction in the area, and then we see a reduction around. And so that was a lot of the narrative that I was hearing in my crime prevention circles. And that was a lot of the work I was doing. But then when I was working in, a practitioner space and working with police officers and working with community members uh, and other sort of community safety stakeholders, they were telling me a very different story. And they were saying, no, that's, that's not our experience. We do see displacement. I feel like we're maybe not measuring it right. But of course, not knowing exactly how to do that. So we had a bit of a natural experiment uh, where we actually got, uh, there was this major crime um, generator would be the best way to describe it, uh, in this downtown Midwestern community in Canada. And all of this sort of social disorder was happening there. And there was a number of different incidents that were occurring there and around there. Uh, and after the city and police and all of these other agencies had tried for years to reduce crime and disorder in this area, um, they finally tore down the fast food restaurant that seemed to be the epicenter of the uh, crime generator. And in doing so, crime and disorder in that area disappeared. And so it was considered a win. Um, and when we spoke with the stakeholders and the practitioners around that space, they said, yeah, no, it definitely declined in that area. But it, it's it's moved. It's in other places in the city. And because we know those folks, we know where those are. Um, so We worked in partnership with a lot of those stakeholders, a lot of those community safety providers uh, to really map that at the city level um, and found that indeed they were right. And there was displacement um, in other parts of the city and that for years we haven't been measuring at the right level, nor have we been using mixed methods, which allow us to have those community conversations with folks who really do know where crime and disorder can move to. And so um, by combining all of those methods, we actually were able to find displacement had not only moved, but had gotten worse. So we saw crime and disorder get worse in some of the areas that it moved to.
1: That's so interesting. What sparked your interest in this field? Like, What was it that made you want to study this?
0: I think that's a great question. I ended up I was doing some research on the crime drop uh, in Canada and probably back in about 2013, 2014. And we were looking specifically at uh, the reduction in auto theft in Vancouver. So like most countries in the world, when we implemented uh, electronic immobilizers into cars, auto theft dropped substantially. Um, And so that was really proving this idea of the security hypothesis, which is from um, Professor Graham Farrell, is this idea that if you implement security uh, into certain things, it makes it more difficult uh, for an offender to engage in that crime, and then subsequently uh, you see a reduction in crime. And this might be why we're seeing an international uh, decline in crime, as some of these improvements in security. So we tested that uh, in Vancouver, and we found that Indeed, that was the case that, you know, I, th- I believe it was 87% uh, or it was an 87% drop between the years of 2003 to 2013. Um, and most of that occurred post uh, electronic immobilizers, which were implemented in Canada or mandated in Canada in 2007. But what we also found was that there was this proportional increase in certain places in the city. And these tended to be the poorer areas that couldn't afford the security technology or afford the new cars that allowed them um, to have that security technology already built in. And so while there was a dramatic, dramatic decline, uh, and, and we can't ignore that, we did see a spatial shift in where there were concentrations of auto theft. And that really led me to believe, well, We can't just explain the crime drop through security hypotheses. We can't just talk about opportunity. We need to talk more meaningfully about all of the other things that contribute to crime. uh, And particularly in this case, how do we understand how crime can move spatially and what are some of the motivators behind that? And so that really started that uh, series of questioning. And then all of the work I did as a practitioner and as a researcher kind of expanded that
1: it's so interesting um, I usually you've done a PhD um, and when you hear some people's PhD topics you're thinking how did you come up with that um, and it's one of those I'm like how did you think of this because we have traditional methods um, you spoke about it with me before uh police orientated policing um problem orientated policing should I say um and how that works and you when you discuss it how does that tie in with the work you're doing now or what
0: you've done in the in you know in the past? So I think a lot of the work that I have done um, really, really feeds in with that POP model. So interestingly, a lot of the research that came out about diffusion of benefit came from um, POP research. Uh, And so not all, some of it is done very well. And then some of it just requires, you know, an extension of methods. And sometimes that's just access and, and who you're working with and, and what you have access to. Um, but a lot of that meant that I was generally working with people to address problems in their communities. And I really want to say with rather than two or four because I think it's incredibly important that when we engage with community stakeholders or we engage with police practitioners, that we acknowledge that they have expertise as well. And so for us to do any any kind of work and say that somehow we're the experts because we hold a PhD is, is silly because they have spent so much uh, time and, and effort in their area and they come with a certain level of skill that we don't have. And so a lot of um, my work has really been built from having those conversations with those stakeholders and those police practitioners and saying, we have this issue and me having the knowledge and the literature to say, that's interesting that's coming up for us as well or this is what the typical narrative is why don't we test that out here are some methods to test that out Uh, and so I really believe a lot of the work that I've done and continue to do is based on those partnerships and those relationships
1: I think my listeners are gonna really love listening to you because you are you're fair some people believe that when you have a PhD you are I mean you are an expert for sure um but you're sort of playing on the same at the same level as everyone and I really appreciate you saying that. and I know loads of listeners will be like yes um <laughs> sort of the academics coming in and um sort of telling us how to do our jobs um is, is not like that within your case I think you're building as you said the relationships um and continuing to work and um you know influence to some extent of what they do uh based on your knowledge and expertise Um, so let's talk about crime prevention strategies now you said to me that people move and we understand with this whole sort of displacement do you call it a theory like am I okay to call it a theory
0: I don't know if I would call it displacement theory I think I I, displacement is based on opportunity theories and activities theory or a perspective it's perspective um, so and rational choice um, and crime pattern theory but it's it's not It's own theory. So at least I wouldn't argue with us. Okay, I'm going to
1: go with you. Um, I'm going to say this, the sort of the content around this placement, Mm. uh, people are moving, what are the crime prevention strategies that you've seen? So we spoke about sort of the security in cars throughout Mm -hmm. the years, what other things have you been seeing to help
0: reduce the crime rates? Yeah, so I, I I should I should clarify. I think because um, I don't I just don't want uh, that message to be that security doesn't work. Of course, there are security measures that do work. So um, I I think the security hypothesis is probably one of the best explanations we have for the crime decline, particularly in property crime um, around the world. At the same time, though, a lot of where I see a lot of success is in these mixed methods, and so that is acknowledging that there are ways in which we can make crime uh, and, you know, offending more difficult, uh, more difficult for the offender, more difficult uh, for someone who may be an offender. We can um, sort of reduce suitable targets. We can improve capable guardianship, you know, all these things that go along with this routine activities perspective. But we also need to provide supports to a community and make that community stronger. We need to, um, and what I mean by that is essentially a lot of what we know in crime prevention is not just about reduction of opportunities, but it's also improving informal and formal social controls. And so one of the ways you do that is by building social cohesion uh, and building community culture and engaging folks so that they know their neighbors. And when there's someone who is doing something they shouldn't be, they know how to have that conversation or they know how to engage, or they know how to prevent, or they know how to control. Um, And, Oftentimes, when we have that conversation in community groups, there is a fear that that can be exclusionary, so that we are trying to remove one group uh, in, you know, in order to support another group. And I don't think that's the case. If you work with the community, if you work with all members of that community, then indeed, you are naturally inclusive. um, And you acknowledge that rather than Saying, you know, for example, there's always this concern around homelessness. There's always a concern around uh, social disorder tied to homelessness or houselessness. Um, but if you are working with those folks to help them find housing, and then you're also working to build cohesion and you're also working to build culture and you're also reducing opportunities, then you're building a much stronger community and one where folks don't need to be excluded and where folks don't need to engage in the same type of, um, crimes to support addictions or support, um, feeding themselves or support any of these other sorts of things. So it's, it's not an easy solution. I, I really, I get a lot of people who come to me and say, well, what do we need to do to reduce crime in this area? And yes, there's some, some simple target hardening that might help, But it's not going to help in the long term. People find their way around this. So when we talk about displacement and crime prevention, I think it's the takeaway for me is if all you're doing is reducing opportunities, then you're not dealing with the issue because you're not dealing with motivation. Yes, it is easier to reduce opportunities. Yes, that may provide some short term um, solutions but it's not providing anything long-term and you're going to be back to where you started perhaps in a different place um but that's that's a disadvantage for that place then um and that if we want to be doing this work we need to be doing it holistically
1: yeah when I'm listening to you talk I'm sort of um picturing our sort of community police officers that sort of walk around and um sort of our pcsos our specials uh that are that could maybe use this approach in those areas that they're monitoring um but could you just clarify to me that these decisions these um, sort of uh, crime prevention strategies that could be implemented and some have been is it sort of the from the top to bottom approach or is it sort of the bottom to top where the bottom officers are saying well this is what we think is needed
0: in this community like can you explain to me how that works Sure, so I should say that there are lots of times in which crime prevention strategies are top-down. And I can also say from experience and from research and and years in this field, they generally don't work. Um, There are ways in which they do. The mandating of electronic immobilizers in cars was incredibly successful. There's no doubt about that. That was a top-down strategy. But most of the work I do, both in policing and in crime prevention, because I live in both worlds, is bottom-up. And so I, I, through Safe Growth as a practitioner, I work to build communities capacity to address crime. And then working with police organizations across Canada, I work with Frontline as well as their leadership to build that base capacity to address those issues. So I think I, I will always be a strong advocate for bottom-up approaches and for um with instead of two or four and for collaborative governance which is essentially this idea that if we make these decisions together um they'll be more holistic they'll be more representative they'll be more inclusive and generally they get implemented and they're more successful because everybody has a stake and everybody has some ownership
1: yeah that makes sense i was just thinking in my head i wonder how this works because obviously those that are sort of uh, around these community areas they're the ones that'll be able to identify the needs a little bit more easier than those at the top that are dealing with sort of the level two level three types of crime maybe um so thank you for confirming that for me and, and discussing it because i i just want to talk in sort of lay terms um so for some listeners that don't know what this is including myself it's just nice to have a good understanding uh, around it so okay some of the police have adopted some of your the things you have suggested um can we talk about that I think you spoke to me before about Victoria Police in particular uh how are they adopting are there any forces that are on board uh and sort of what are your plans next
0: sure so um one of the things that we found in doing some of this displacement research was uh when I spent some time in Australia and we looked at um in Queensland specifically we looked at um, how auto theft had declined, but we saw this increase in the co-occurrence of burglary and auto theft. So again, massive declines in both, but um, a proportional increase. And that increase seemed to be linked spatially to the fact that folks were taking keys from homes in order to steal a car. So they would break into the home, uh, steal the key to the car, because you need the key to turn over the um the car, uh, with those new immobilizers and, and stealing the cars that way. So offenders were adapting and, um, and they were adapting against this sort of security technology. So we had been in conversations with Victoria and Victoria had already sort of started a campaign around this, um, specifically about, you know, uh, lock up your house and, and acknowledge that this is happening, but, um, this provided them with a lot more information to help guide that campaign. And then we also had, this is still ongoing, we had some conversations around um, specifically the fear that folks experience in saying, well, I would rather leave my door open and just have them steal the key to my car than than just have an interaction with that person and and be uh, threatened. So it was also... We talked a lot about how do you how do you provide good information to folks and how do you manage that misinformation. So one of the things we often think about offenders is that they're going to be incredibly aggressive and that they're going to engage with us um, and, and fight us and attack us. Most offenders, especially um, who are engaging in property crime, are not generally violent and generally want to get in and out as quickly as possible. And so if your door is locked, they'll move on because it's not easy. Uh, And so that gets back to that rational choice. Um, And so there's very simple things that you can do. And so we had um, a conversation about how that campaign could really recognize that feeling of fear, but also acknowledge what we find uh, in the literature. Uh, we've seen a lot of this work um, around sort of opportunity reduction also taken up in Vancouver. So we did a project a number of years ago on uh, pharmacy robberies uh, in Vancouver. We were seeing an increase in uh, pharmacists being held at gunpoint for um, for drugs, uh, especially sort of um, fentanyl related drugs. Uh, this was one a huge surge was going through the city um, and. So we ha- we sort of gave them some guidance around um, how to create time release uh, locks on certain drug types, like the ones that were the most desirable, uh, because, again, offenders don't want to wait around. They'll they'll move on. Uh, and so we worked with them to spread that across the entire province of BC um all at one time as well as a messaging campaign as well as uh, additional training for the pharmacists as well as additional locks so there's was, it was a massive uh campaign and we saw um In most cities across BC, Mm -hmm. a significant decline in Mm -hmm. pharmacy-related robberies, um, which is great because robberies are terrifying and pharmacists are incredibly well-educated and not trained to deal with this kind of violence. So um, that that was a really strong um, piece as well. And then the work that I did in the Midwest around displacement is now guiding their uh, police service as well as their city planning department in terms of not only where they can do um, crime prevention strategies, but also where they can do a lot of social uh, investment strategies to really help what's driving some of those issues as well.
1: Yeah, so a, lot, a lot's going on. There's a lot to consider. And I think one thing that comes to my mind is the one-size-fits-all approach does not work. No. Um, it changes in different places and countries. And, but I'd like to ask you this. Is there one strategy, one or two strategies, that you think that could work everywhere? That's probably a really difficult question. I've thrown you off. No, here. <laughs> it's
0: not. Um, and I'm going to self self promote here. Um, I think it's Go safe it. growth. I think that I really do believe in what we're doing. So safe growth is a planning methodology, uh, and essentially the idea behind it is it combines urban planning and geography and criminology and social justice and social cohesion um, and all of these really strong, um, both community and, and social and systematic and, and individual level concepts and theories and, and pra- practices and strategies into one that builds capacity at the local level to build local governance. And that is not just police. That includes police, that includes other community safety stakeholders, but it really is community-led Uh, prevention and cohesion. And we have done uh, safe growth in more than 40 communities across North America, if not more. And I have seen nothing but incredible results. And of course, I'm biased. I'm a practitioner in that space. And I am training communities how to understand crime, understand crime prevention strategies, understand uh, cohesion, and how to how to build that But I think that by giving folks a common language, by building that uh, local capacity um, and by enabling them to identify their own issues and then giving them the strategies, because it is multi-strategy, to address those issues in a meaningful and planned way is one of the best things that we can do for preventing crime, as well as improving safety and improving our communities long-term. So if we think about what do we want cities and neighborhoods to look like in the 21st century, I really believe it's it's from this basis. It's from a strong local governance where folks know each other, where they're engaged with each other, and where they're making decisions about their own well-being. Yeah, powerful
1: um yeah I thought I'd ask you that That was quite cheeky of me um <laughs> but I wanted to know where what you thought um so if you can can you just tell our listeners what you're working on at the moment what can we see from you? because I said to you before and you're very humble about it I said you've had so many publications and you're like no not that many but whoever goes on to Tara's website by which I'm going to put at the end of this point there are so many publications <laughs> all which are very good and mm-hmm. informative so what are you get, what are you getting up to now? I know you're at WLU iLab you're based there at the moment, aren't you
0: so i, I am at Laurier and uh, I am currently in the Center for Research on Security Practices, um, which is led by uh, Brie Atkinson and Carrie Sanders. Um, Currently, we are doing some work here with uh, Brantford police trying to understand some of the issues that have emerged in this community, particularly post COVID. So I've done a lot of research on COVID and crime. um, But Brantford's a very unique space. Uh, It's a community that really relied heavily on its university and then the university disappeared for two years because of COVID. So there's really interesting questions that are emerging out of that. Uh, I'm continuing to work on um, some crime prevention strategies in rural communities uh, because I think that Building a lot of those uh, pieces that I talked about earlier, especially around local governance and social cohesion, um, is a little bit more difficult when we're further uh, apart and when we're spaced out, Um, but there are real issues in rural communities that we need to deal with. And then finally, uh, I'm doing a lot of work right now with the Canadian Association of Police Governance, um, which is essentially looking at how do we, how do we understand policing in the 21st century? How do we deal with a lot of the pressures that are coming at policing around defund the police? And how do we do that effectively? Um, and how do we question leadership? How do we question the role of the police? How do we work with police so that they are, again, developing bottom-up uh, strategic planning, which is uh, predominantly what we're looking at at the moment, so that there the gap between police officer behavior, which is a lot of what is, you know, driving this concern around uh, defund the police. So a lot of this misbehavior and some of the values that we see espoused from the top around inclusion and around, you know, support and, and all these sorts of community uh, strength and, and and these wonderful buzzwords that get um, spoken uh, at the top level, but then we don't see play out at the ground. How do we connect um, those those conversations, so that folks who are working at the front level are really doing meaningful work. They feel very strongly, and they're connected to those values at the top. And how do we do that so that they have a stake uh, in that in that discussion as well?
1: So you're not doing too much, then?
0: <laughs> no, no, you know, just a few, just, things.
1: just a few things, <laughs> a few important things. I'm very excited to uh, have a look at or read whatever article you published on the the last you. Uh, research. Um, bit that you're doing uh it's i was interested in you when i first met you a couple of weeks back and how you approach different different you're on different paths you're not just focusing on one aspect you're you're dipping your toes into so many different um different different waters i guess um and it's 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 nice different but the same
0: It's It's different, but the same. So I think we often we put ourselves in silos and we think that, you know, policing is one thing, crime prevention is another, community safety is another. And, you know, cohesion is another. It's not. This is all it's it's all the same fight. It's all the same. um, It's all the same issues and it's all the same solutions. And to me, I, I actually, I think a lot of people go, wow, how can you be taking on all those projects? I see them as dramatically in, interconnected. Um, and I see that because I know that when we do work with people, when we do work collaboratively, when we govern from the bottom, when we have um, strength and capacity in those spaces, then then we build you know neighborhoods that we want to see. And I think that's that's you know what drives all of my work so it's it's very interconnected mm-hmm. for me at least
1: yeah no i i the passion i love the passion and i'm yeah. i'm interested in what you're doing and i'm sure for whoever's listening and wants to read your work will put your bio at the end and the website page and people can start reading um because like i said although displacement when i studied criminology many years ago and all that stuff yes it it, it came up it, as you said it was this buzzword but speaking with you I have this you know a deep understanding of what it actually means but most importantly how it impacts the places in which we are working in this this policing world and where some of our some of you know the officers are are based um so thank you for that and thank you for coming onto to the podcast.
0: Thank you. That was very kind of you to say, and I really appreciate being here. It was a great conversation.